0: Welcome to Beyond the Bio, a podcast that shares stories of our extraordinary people from their perspectives. You can read their business bios online if you'd like, but those barely scratch the surface of who they are and the great work they're doing. I'm Keith Bevins, partner and global head of consultant recruiting at Bain & Company. Joining me today is Sanjay Deary, a partner in our London office. Today we'll talk with Sanjay about his background working on development and poverty issues around the world, his journey into consulting, and how he's been able to keep his hand in that previous career while doing great work for Bain's clients today. Sanjay, welcome. Thank you, Keith. Nice to be here. So we've known each other for quite a while since I started my role in recruiting when you were heading up recruiting in the London office. And I admit I had no idea about all the things you had done prior to Bain. Why don't you talk a little bit about your experience in university
1: and what you were doing after university? Sure. So uh, prior to Bain, I had uh, quite a long career actually working in um, international development. So I did a degree in uh, economics with French. So I studied both here in the UK and in, in France, but actually prior to going to university, I took a, a gap year after high school and I travelled around India, uh, was struck by the level of, uh, level of poverty um, that I saw and uh, determined that I wanted to do work in, in that field, but wanted to have a structured way of doing that and so economics was my way into that. So I did a degree in economics with French and I followed that with a master's degree in development economics. I then worked for quite a few years in research in international development as a development economist at the Overseas Development Institute and then at the World Food Programme, uh, which is a a UN agency, focusing on, on food aid issues. And then a couple of other things and then then, uh, joined Bain after going to do an MBA at uh, London Business School. So let's spend a little bit of time talking about your experience with the World Food
0: Programme, ODI. What was your plan originally after the gap year? Had you planned on doing research, doing something in development, or were you really wide open trying to see what was out there? I was
1: pretty open, but uh, I knew I wanted to work on poverty issues, and I gravitated towards working uh, specifically on hunger issues, um, really as part of my master's degree. So I wrote my thesis on what was the monetization of food aid, and that led me to uh, a research project at the Overseas Development Institute, which is uh, it's a non-governmental organization which uh, was born out of the uh, UK government's aid program and they do projects for uh, the World Bank, for IMF, but also for international NGOs. And so that's what uh, that's what led me into working at ODI.
0: Got it. And where were you working with them? So you did your gap year in India. Did you move around a lot
1: after that? Well, straight after my gap year, I went to university. And as I said, I, my time was split between the UK and, and France. As part of ODI, I worked in uh, mainly in sub-Saharan Africa for the various projects that I did. I worked in Rwanda, in Mozambique, in Gabo Verde, in uh, Liberia, various other places in sub-Saharan Africa, um, but also in Nicaragua and Bangladesh, so it wasn't purely sub-Saharan Africa.
0: What was your experience like moving around to different countries with you quickly? Were you staying a long time? What types of things were you doing
1: for the programs while you were there? So, ODI, as it was a research organization, it was mainly uh, very relatively short stints of between two weeks to f- four. I think six weeks was the longest um, in Nicaragua. And they were really project based. So, we were doing analysis on the ground and then creating policy reports or strategy reports. With the World Food Program, um, after ODI, I had longer stints in country. So the longest stint I had was about three months in uh, the conflict region of uh, South Sudan, um, which was, uh, we were based actually actually in Lokichokya, which is northern Kenya. And the World Food Programme run the uh, whole logistics for the aid programme that was going into South uh, South Sudan at the time, or Southern Sudan at the time, called Operation Lifeline Sudan. So that was the longest stint that I did. Uh, Mm -hmm. And there we were trying to get food to internally displaced people, uh, IDPs, uh, during the conflict.
0: And your role in all of that, were you learning a ton as you did that? I mean, at that point, it sounds like you had had a ton of experience working in different countries. How was that one different? It certainly made a lot of headlines around the world as the crisis was happening in real
1: time. But what was it like on the ground? It was difficult. It was a very difficult working environment. There were attacks um, quite quite often. Uh, We had to go in and out of country quite often. But it was also very energizing watching the, a group of not just the UN, but also the uh, NGOs that are working on the ground uh, for people who were poor to start with, but had then lost everything during the conflict. And uh, it was an incredibly impressive program to be able to intercept this moving population um, and get food and medicine uh, to them as they, as they were displaced. So you do that work for a while, and then you said
0: you decided to go back to university yet again. Talk about that decision. What made you decide that it was time for a
1: change? There were three main reasons, actually. So uh, the first one was, possibly the most important one, was uh, my girlfriend, who, was, uh, who I'd met actually in Paris back in the day when I did my undergrad. And uh, she's now my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she was based in London and quite legitimately didn't want to uh, give up her career and her life in London. And so that was always going to be an issue, so there was a personal reason. From a career point of view, I became very interested in the private sector. My entire career up until that point had been in the public sector, in the international public sector. But I witnessed the power of the private sector in a very visceral way. So we were working in one project for Liberian refugees that had crossed the border into Côte d'Ivoire and, um, and guinea conakry and the refugees were coming; uh, had come across the border, and they they had had lost everything. Some were going back to farm the land that they had back in Liberia, but there were landmines everywhere, so there were people lost pretty much every day. And we were trying to get food um, on trucks uh, from uh, Guinea-Conakry, the port of Conakry, into you know through the roads through the high forest into this uh, this refugee situation and we were really struggling because we as the World Food Programme were not allowed to carry um, guns on our trucks. And so everything was getting pilfered and stolen almost as soon as it left the port. Like clockwork, every two weeks there would be a truck that would turn up in the camp carrying Chinese private sector rice which was sold to the refugees at a very low amount of money for what's called a cup of rice, which is basically a handful, which the families managed to find the resources to buy so that they could continue to feed them and their families. And so I got actually interested in the private sector because I was like, wow, the the, the private sector actually, you can call it a force for good, and there are all sorts of issues and ethical issues with it. But the point is they were actually delivering a need and the idea that a profit could be made, I should say that these uh, private sector trucks carrying Chinese rice were armed to the teeth and so nobody would mess with them, w- was getting through and cutting through. And more broadly on the private sector was a recognition that we were doing a fantastic job as a, essentially an ambulance service for people in, in real crisis, real development and watching com- uh, countries uh, go up the economic development ladder has to involve the private sector and the public sector can put a framework and governance around that, but actually the private sector is really where development happens. So, someone who's passionate about international development, I felt I needed to understand more about the private sector. So, and the third, uh, I said there were three reasons. The third reason was there was also I wanted to have more of an impact, and working in a very large international organisation can sometimes be quite frustrating to get things done. I would say that at the World Food Programme, I felt because we had a very very tight mission, which was the logistics and uh, actually delivering the food. I think we were better uh, than some of the other UN agencies, but you know, in any large international organisation, there's a lot of bureaucracy, and I felt I wanted to have more of an impact.
0: So you decide to move back to London. Yeah. Where did you end up going to school and, and what was that experience like? It must have been very different putting down roots for two years and not traveling all over the world and going to conflict zones and dealing with one crisis after the next.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's a very true. So just like my grad degree, I, I realized that um, my, what I wanted to do, which was to do an MBA, didn't quite match my finances. <laughs> so you weren't rolling in the dough in stock options? Funnily enough, no. So I actually took a job uh, for a year and a half to save money to do my MBA. And I got a job in the UK Home Office um, to work as, a, as an economist uh, working on crime issues, actually, the economics of crime, which is not something that I'd, I'd ever thought about before, but actually turned out to be very interesting. So the economics of, of, cost, of, of, crime, sorry, of crime reduction. I did that for a year and a half, and I applied to lots of business schools and looked to my girlfriend, who's now my wife and i said well i've got an offer from london business school which happens to be where you are <laughs> where we live so it was a pretty easy option but also for other reasons to go to london business school uh, i felt i needed a 2 year program because i was making a major career switch so fortunate enough to get a place at london business school and yes it was different actually being in one place my desire to travel didn't completely go away and so we did a uh, we actually took one term and spent it in uh, shanghai which worked well because my wife's an an acupuncturist, so traditional Chinese medicine, so she worked in a hospital whilst I was at business school there. So even within the two years, I did manage to uh, get out of of the country for six months.
0: What did you do for the summer
1: while you were in school? So I worked for a consulting company, uh, Booz Allen Hamilton, a strategy consulting firm, and had a great time. And it actually reinforced that I wanted to go into strategy consulting, and then you know, during the, the full-time round, I actually only looked at one company, which was Bain, and uh, got, a, got an offer to, to work at Bain and, and joined and have uh, been here for 19 years.
0: <laughs> what attracted you to Bain? Presumably you had a lot of options. I know LBS students can go literally anywhere in the
1: world and do just about anything. Why did you just pursue one company? So interestingly, I chose the company that I felt not just uh, would be somewhere where I, I felt the culture fitted, and also gave me what I wanted, which was to have an impact. But also, I felt would give me a bit of a was actually further away from what I'd been doing previously. Bain does a lot of uh, public sector work, but I but some of the other consultants, including Booz Allen at the time, did a lot of consult uh, organize, uh, sorry a lot of government work. And I didn't want to just do uh, government work or public sector work, just and sit on the other side of the table. But Bain was also pretty cutting edge in terms of, at the time, it was a big internet boom. And so we had Bain Lab at the time uh, as an incubator. And Bain did a lot of this thing called private equity, which, you know, coming from the public sector, I had no exposure to at all. That was also very interesting. But probably more than anything, it was uh, the people uh, that I met through the recruiting processes and uh, the real focus on results. And again, having been in the public sector uh, up until that point, I was really focused on where could I have an impact and where are people really focused on actually generating real results. So that's why I chose Bain for those reasons.
0: Very cool. Where did you end up spending your time? You start at Bain and you see a lot of different industries. You work across all kinds of sectors. An office as big as the London office has literally everything from top to bottom and people with tons of experience. How did you find your way into your practice area now? What is your practice area now? I guess is a good place to start. So
1: I'm a partner in the consumer products practice. So my clients are usually the large, also mid-size FMCG companies, fast-moving consumer goods companies. And I work across uh, all different uh, consumer product sectors, so food, harking back to my previous career, uh, beverage, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, um, but also in beauty products, and also in household goods, so across the CP areas. But I did uh, take quite a long time to decide on on focusing on that sector. Um, as I said, I didn't want to falsely uh, pursue an industry that I didn't really know about, and so... Bain gave me the opportunity to work in healthcare, in retail, in industrial goods and services, particularly oil and gas, and a number of different uh, different sectors, um, including consumer products. I felt a real affinity to consumer products when I first started working in, in the space, partly because I could bring some of my experience to bear um, in terms of having moved food around the world um, in my previous job. But also just the it's just very real. Um, If I want to see how a a product is doing or a brand is doing, I can literally pop down to a shop and have a look. Where is it on the shelf, et cetera? And I I like that sort of realism of it. Um, But I didn't uh, focus on and formally affiliate to the practice until I was a principal. So it took me quite a while. and, And up until then, I was still working across across different sectors. Very cool. I know
0: that you're involved in a couple of councils here that might harken back to some of your prior experience. I also know that you were involved in recruiting quite a bit. Talk a little bit about what else you've been doing at Bain besides your client work, because I know you keep busy outside of clients as well.
1: Yeah, well, sure. So I, I also, with one of my other hats, I also run our results acceleration practice, which is which brings together a number of different capability strands. So organize our organization practice, agile, uh, results delivery behaviors and leadership, and also full potential transformation. And I run that for the Europe, Middle East, and Africa uh, region. So that takes up a time That's sometimes directly client work, and sometimes it's developing IP and and running the practice. And then outside that, I, as you said, I've done a lot of recruiting over over my time at Bain, um, particularly focused on MBA recruiting. I was asked to join the World Economic Forum Council on the Future of Consumption. So the World Economic Forum, which has its annual meeting in Davos, as you know, runs a a number of uh, councils um, looking at the future of uh, various either societal or economic areas, and this one is on the Future of Consumption. And that's a group of, each council is a group of around 20 academics, business executives, and industry experts. Um, that get together and brainstorm around what the future of consumption might look like in 10, 20, 30 years' time and constructs thought pieces around how we can shape development so that it goes in the right way and, and meets the needs of not just business but uh, but also society. So I do that. And then to keep my hand a little bit in to my passion, I also am a sounding board member for a couple of uh, non-governmental organizations mm-hmm. Um, So I've worked with Save the Children, also with Action Against Hunger, or Action Contre la Fin, which is a a French international organization. And we've actually uh, done a couple of pieces of strategy for uh, both Save the Children and Action Against Hunger, uh, where we've deployed a Bain team for a few months on a a pro bono or low bono uh, basis to help them develop their strategy for the next three to five years. So I keep my hand a little bit in there, but it's bringing, what I like about it is it's bringing my approaches, my frameworks and what I know at Bain and applying them in, a, in a, different, a different setting.
0: Do you find that the people you work with in those areas when you're doing that type of work, the pro bono, low bono work, are they surprised at your background? Do they see you as the MBA consultant or do they actually get beneath that a little bit and realize like, oh, he's actually done this work before?
1: Yeah. On the client side, they're, they're always, I think they love it because they, they understand that I was in that world and I understand it in a way that uh, a complete outsider wouldn't understand it and so therefore can mould what we're doing. Now, we do that with all of our clients. We think about them and their situation and, and we don't you know, have cookie-cutter approaches to any client. But in that situation, the big difference is the metrics um, are actually different. So you're not measuring top and bottom line, you're, you're measuring impact, number of beneficiaries, etc. And so it's, um, it's quite complex but also quite interesting. And there's a big push to, to bring some of the um, hard business disciplines into that world. Mm-hmm. I think it's um what's great is since i since I joined Bain, there's been a real growing together of you know the different elements of of business, government, academia, et cetera. um private sector, public sector is now so blurred with the private sector not just measuring themselves on financial metrics and the public sector um, drawing in a lot of the disciplines that uh, that you get in the private sector. so it's great that uh, people are actually solving solving uh the world's issues if you like together and uh so there's less of a them and us than there used to be and i've done a bunch of pro bono projects
0: for the city of chicago and in our office they tend to be some of the most popular projects that people
1: are doing is it the same thing here in london it is so we have whenever we stand up one of these uh cases there's no shortage of people putting their hands up saying "I, i want to do these do these cases i think it's uh it's hugely energizing to take what we we learn at Bain from, often from our private sector work and apply it in a different context and just to see how powerful that is. So yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of demand. Yeah, it's a lot of demand from from the Bainies.
0: So Sanjay, thanks for sharing a lot about your journey. I also know, again, because we've known each other for quite a while, that you've taken some time off throughout your career at Bain. I don't know that they overlap necessarily with when we were working closely together in recruiting, but you did take an LOA
1: at one point, right? Yeah, I've actually taken a few anyways <laughs> over my time. So in way, leave of absence. So I've actually I've taken four over my nineteen years at Bain. The most recent one actually was this summer, and I took uh, three months and uh, went travelling, t- travelling with the family. I have two girls uh, who are thirteen and eleven, and we travelled around Canada and Iceland and over the summer, but also just took took some time out to chill out basically. The previous one was six years ago, and there I, we traveled again, uh, and that was, we were a bit more adventurous. We went to South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, Fiji, and then uh, to Disneyland, from Fiji to Disneyland for my, my daughter's seventh birthday, my eldest daughter's seventh birthday, and across the, the U.S. And then the two others I took before them was each time that my daughters were born. So I took a couple of months um, each time on top of paternity leave to basically hang out and support my wife. So Bain's been incredibly supportive of taking that, that time out at those moments throughout my career.
0: That's awesome and something that many of us will aspire towards, I'm sure. Listen, Sanjay, thank you very much for your time today. It's great to talk. It's always great to just hear about people's stories. So thank you for sharing everything there. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to Beyond the Bio wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you soon with a new episode.